We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Lord, there's nothing in our lives that compares to you. There's nothing in this world that compares to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God bless you this morning. Please be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. Sometimes it's hard to recognize that in everything that God has done, He's always placed a leadership there. You can go from the front of the book all the way to the back. God always places leadership, those in positions to lead. And, you know, that's no different with our worship team. We appreciate our worship team leading us in worship. Sometimes it's just that right to that point of edge where we're at that we need to spring forth that the worship team takes us to that place. And so I just want to say thank you. You know, Pastor Don's one of those guys that comes around, and if he comes around, something's wrong. If he never shows up, everything's good. That's a bad way to manage. That's a bad way to manage. You ought to come around when things are good, and when when things happen that aren't so right, you come around, but you come around with a good attitude. Right? Right? The good thing is, they don't see me very often because they're always doing great. So, we just appreciate our worship team today. The sun had just begun to rise in Jerusalem. It was a new day. It was a day that was different, though, than any other day they had encountered. As the sun began to rise, the the shepherds went outside of the the gates of Jerusalem to their fields and they unlocked the sheep folds and they allowed the sheep to just venture out and graze in the grass and they, they did their feeding and those things and as, as the sun rose, the families began to get up and the, the lights began to come on and their, you know they, they didn't have the electricity that we had so the lanterns were lit, the candles were lit and breakfast began to be made and the voices of the children as they got up, it seems to me that kids get up quicker than adults. I don't know, maybe it's different at your house but you know, when you want to sleep in, the kids make sure that you don't. One of the fun things about Jude is he's an alarm clock. At 4.30, it's time to get up. Regardless of what your clock is, at his 4.30, it's time to get up. And so that day in Jerusalem, the people begin to rise, and they begin to make way for their day. And as time was spent during that day, uh, you, you see street vendors begin to ease out into the streets of Jerusalem, and they begin to set up their, their positions to sell their wares. And then you begin to smell the, the smell of fresh bread and, and pastries and things being made, and you begin to hear the sounds of music because it was, fat, it was, it was the Feast of the Passover. And the Feast of the Passover, there were literally tens of thousands of visitors that came into Jerusalem. Not only the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but all of these visitors came in because there were Jews there to celebrate the Feast of Passover. And so as you walk through the streets of Jerusalem, what you find is, is, is as the children have eaten their breakfast and they've talked their mom and dad into letting them go out into the streets, they've, they've found the street vendors with the streamers and they're, they're running through uh, the, the streets just waving the streamers. They're, they're happy. It's Passover. And you find as adults begin to make their way out, they would go by this little shop and there would be a pastry and you know how kids are. 
wanting that pastry. And so mom or dad would give a few coins and they would buy pastry. And so here are the kids just celebrating in the streets and here are the parents walking with them. And it's, they're walking along and there's people they've never met before. There's, again, tens of thousands of people and new people that come every year. And so they, they meet new, new friends. New, 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 they make new, new friends. They, they see family they haven't seen in quite some time. It's, it's Passover. And so they prepare themselves for Passover, and they've been celebrating a feast. And, you know, the Jewish feast would go anywhere from seven to ten days. They knew how to celebrate. They knew how to party. They knew how to, when they celebrated God, they, they took it to the very end. They, they, they did everything they could. And so you can imagine that in the streets there were the jugglers. And if you can imagine in the streets there were those that did the flips. You know, we don't think about this about the Jews, but they're, they're the ultimate in celebration. We think a lot of times we do great July the 4th, we do great January 1st, but we don't match what the Jews can do in celebration. And so if you can just get a picture in your mind how the, the, the celebration is going on, and there's, there's just this festive feeling, and everybody's happy because they remember the, the, the stories of old as Grandma told the story and Grandpa told the story and Great Grandpa and, and the stories that were written, how the, there was a time in the, in the history of Israel when they were captive to the Egyptians and there came a time when God said, let my people go. And there came a time and, and point when there were the, the plagues. And at the end of the plagues, there, the, the Jews were finally released because the, the angel of death would pass over. And so this, this Passover feast was a celebration time because they had been set free. And they remembered in the past how they had been set free. And so Passover was a huge deal to them. And, you know, a lot of times we think of July the 4th as our, our independence. Well, remember, that's what their independence was. Their Passover was their independence, and so we celebrated it sometimes a weekend. Well, July the 4th was on Sunday, so there was a lot of people that had Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off, and that was the celebration. But for the Jews, it was different. They had Sunday through Sunday and maybe Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off, and they celebrated it to the hill. So just get the picture that there's this huge amount of celebration going on. But this day was going to be different than unlike any celebration they'd ever done. It was going to it was going to change their lives. And so, in the midst of all the celebration, there was a there was another very subtle uh, thing going on in Jerusalem. And it was a group of men that were in temple courts, and these group of men were discussing ways to get rid of this man named Jesus. Jesus had greatly affected their lives. You know, in, in, in the temple courts, these men would talk, and some of them, they just based their feeling about Jesus on their own religion. Jesus had crossed the lines of their religion. Jesus had done things. Jesus had healed the sick. Jesus had raised the dead. He had opened the blind eyes and the, the ears that couldn't hear, and he had the crippled that couldn't walk, and he brought the dead back to life, things that they as the religious had not been able to do. And it was greatly affecting those around them. You know, you can, can you see through the streets of Jerusalem how that just in the short three and a half years that Jesus' ministry had gone on, that the religious fervor had changed in Jerusalem. And this greatly affected those men that were in the temple courts. There were other men in the temple courts. They didn't really care about the religious aspect of it. They were getting hit in the pocketbook. Those that used to come and, and give uh, money for sacrifices and the, the, the money changers that would change the money over from the, the Jewish coin to the, to the Roman coin were cheating people. And there were doves and animals given that were really unclean. And all of these things were going on. And they were beginning to lose money because these people, instead of coming on Sunday and coming to church and coming to worship and doing those things, they were meeting with Jesus in a mountain. Jesus would tell them stories and he would, he would give them ideas and then he would give them commandments and he would talk. And it, so it was going on and on in the life of Jesus, how he had changed the lives of many people. And so these men were gathered together and here they were. They, they were trying to get rid. Let's do away with this man. And so how can we do away with this man? 
Well, the only way we can do away with him is let's have somebody else do it. You see, they had a lot of guts till it came down to the fact and point. They had a lot of words. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in life. They can talk a big game. They can say a lot of words. I can remember, you know, <clears throat> growing up in my past, and I've said this before, when I went into a place that wasn't necessarily a good place for you guys to go to, when I would go in there, I wasn't afraid of the people that talked. The guys that would talk big talk and, you know, I'm going to do this. And I'm gonna, I wasn't afraid of them because most of them, you'd hit them one time and they'd cry. It was, a, it was weird. I was very scared of the person that never said a word. That person is the one that would hurt you. They were very quiet. They were very calm. And that's the way these, the, these, these men behind the courts, these men in the, in the courts of the temple, they were a lot of talk, but when it came down to it, they weren't going to do the deed. And so we find in, in this day that as they came in celebration, the men had set to point a way to capture Jesus. And so they have Jesus brought before them, and, and they, they make accusation. They make condemnations, and they make all these things, and this is what you're saying, and this is what you're doing. And, and so Jesus is then passed from, from magistrate to magistrate, dignitary to dignitary, if you will, person to person. And, and you can imagine that having been arrested, that Jesus now in, in, in the hands of men, he, he wasn't able to rest like he would. He, he had to walk various places, and he wasn't able to eat like he normally would and, and drink water like he would. So he began to take a little bit of a toll on his body. And so he's passed around and passed around. And so the, the Jews of that day, it's a, it's a strange thing. As Jesus rode in uh, the, the, just a week ago, Jesus rode into the, to the uh, gates of Jerusalem, and as, as he rode in on the donkey, they were laying palm limbs and palm leaves and all those things before him as he rode in and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna means save us, come save us. And so it's not a week later, they're standing in, in, around the courts and they're yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. My, how things changed in a week. And, and how did that change? It's because a group of men that were in a temple court decided that they needed to do away with Jesus. And so because that they began to yell these things, uh, the Jews understood the Roman authority very much. You know, the Romans were sent there uh, to, to, to squelch any uprising that would happen. And the Jews were notorious for uprisings. And so you had men that had to leave Italy. They had to leave Rome. They had to leave where well, they were and sail across the Mediterranean. They had to go to another place and, and spend time and months and years away from their families. And so here they are. They're, they're walking around in the streets of Jerusalem, and these, these soldiers aren't quite so happy because they haven't seen their wife in six, eight, ten months, a year. They haven't seen their kids in two years. They haven't seen any family because they got to be here to squelch these Jews. And so every chance they had the opportunity, they, they, they stuck it to the Jew. They did whatever they could to make it hard for the Jewish life. And so the, the Jews understood this. The, the, the high priest, the, they understood these things. And as the uprising began, crucify him. They, we better do something here to satisfy the crowd. Otherwise, the, the Romans are going to come out. They're going to come after us. This is going to be bad. And so what do they, they take Jesus and they, let's just scourge him. Let's, let's praise, praise the cloud. And so they take him to the center post of what's in Jerusalem. It wasn't set by the Jews, but the center post in Jerusalem was set up by the Romans. And it, it was the place that all Jews would have to come and watch is they put the, the, the Jews in their place. The Romans would then beat them, scourge them, whatever it might be. And so here's Jesus, and he's on this post, and they're whipping him, and they're whipping him with this, this whip that had woven bones and rocks and things in it. And as the whip would wrap around his body, it would 
pull it off, it would tear his skin loose, and all of a sudden you'd begin to see what was beneath the skin, and after that you'd see pieces of meat come, come loose, and uh, they, they beat him with, in the head with, with reeds and rods, and so they brought Jesus back, and you know, this wasn't enough, and the, the crowd began to crucify him even louder, even louder, and so uh, knowing what the Romans were about to do, the ultimate thing was just, you know what, we've got to squelch this, otherwise the Romans are going to crucify him so instead of taking jesus out to crucify him they turn him over to the romans so the romans will do the deed we'll we'll give the the judgment but the the romans will we'll we'll wash ourselves of this thing we'll we'll get rid of it understand this one thing as they begin to say crucify crucify him they it was said in scripture that the one that said let his blood be on us and our children and and look what's happened to the the jewish race since that day by that one statement and so you hear you have Jesus. He's, he's now at a point where most people had not survived. And the Roman crucifixion was very, it, it, was the, it was the cruelest form of punishment they could come up with at that time. Y'all have heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. And I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Because I, I'm not, but, but this cross right here was just the cruelest way. Had it been another way, we would have something else up here. A rock or a, a noose or something. But understand, the cross was the cruelest way that they could, because not, if a person actually made it to the crucifixion, they were already in such bad shape, then, then this, the crucifixion was a point where they stretched it out. They just let them hang there and suffer until they, instead of just having it done with. You know, I often wondered what that must have been like. I, I don't want to know personally, but I, it's hard for me to fathom because we don't allow that kind of thing in our country. We, we don't allow that kind of punishment. But that was the normal thing of that day. And so as Jesus is walking through the streets, he's dragging his cross, and there's the weight. There, you know, Mary, his mother, was running along in the crowd, and Mary Magdalene with her, and, and John the Beloved, and you know, trying to catch a glimpse, just trying to see. Can you imagine, if you're a mother, can you imagine walking through and just trying to catch a glimpse of your son who's now dragging a cross through, and she understands what's about to happen. She knows what's about to go down. And there he is. He's bleeding all over. You, and to understand the, the cruelty of it, you, you know, a lot of times we see the pictures of Jesus on the cross, and, and he looks relatively clean. He's got nails, and that's horrible, through his hands and his feet, and he's got a crown. But you understand something. When they beat him with rods and reeds, historians, Christian historians say that the crucifixions of that time and the beatings and the scourgings, that most people were unrecognizable. If their face wasn't cut up, it was swelled, or maybe both. There was cuts on this side and swelling on this side. And so here's Jesus going through the crowd, and he's pulling his cross, and his mom's trying to see him, and she wants to look at him and not believe it's him. It doesn't look like him. Maybe that's not him. Maybe that's someone else. That can't be my, my son. That, that can't be. She knew who he was. From the very beginning, she knew who he was. She knew he was the son of God. She knew, you know, but she was his son too. He was her son too. She birthed him. Mom, can you imagine? The son that you birthed is now walking through the streets, being punished for something that was not punishable, along with two criminals that should have been punished. And so as they make their way and they go out of the city of Jerusalem, Golgotha is about to experience something Golgotha had never experienced in its existence. Skull Hill, Mount Calvary, was about to experience something that had never happened on, on its mount, in its dirt, around its rocks, on its crosses. 
And so as they take Jesus out there, they, they bring him out. And we know the story and how that when he, he, his cross is carried by another man. And as they get there, they, they nail him to the cross and they stand him up. And now he's, he's standing between heaven and he's hanging there. And he's between heaven and he's, he's between hell, basically. And, and that's what he's living at this point. His body's been racked in pain. He was as human as you and I. Well, you know, he was God's son, so he didn't really feel the pain. God protected him. No. He felt every lash, every cut, every rod and every reed. He felt everything that the person would feel. And there he was, hanging between heaven and hell. And, and we see that the only ones there, you know, the, his friends, the disciples, more than just the 12, we know that 11 of them, one had killed himself, so that left 11 of them. And of the 11, only John the Beloved followed him all the way. All the others had gone and hidden for fear of the reprisal that this would be me next. And so they all abandoned Jesus except for John the Beloved. And so here he is. He's, he recognizes his mother, and he, he, he commends his mother over to John and, and those things. And there comes a point in the time when uh, we understand that through the history of man, from the beginning of Adam till, till we are here today, and all that process of thousands of years, the sin of man is now on the weight and shoulders of Jesus Christ. All of those things, all of the bad, all of the sin, all, it's just weighted upon his shoulders as he's hanging there on the cross. And how that must have been, uh, it just, it's just kind of unfathomable. And then he, he cried with a loud voice, It is finished. He completed his race. He completed the course. The old law had been completed. Jesus said, I come not to forsake it, but I come to complete it, fulfill it. What I do here on the cross, what I do here in my life, completes everything. And everything now rests in me. And so when they do, it's just hard to fathom. And so as, as, he, as the ghost leaves him, as he gives up the spirit, the Bible tells us that the, the sky had darkened. Now it's, 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 it's the time where... Uh, just the earth itself. You know, imagine as many times, many times in Golgotha, Jews had been crucified. Many times on Skull Hill, Jews had been offered by the Romans. Many times at Calvary, there have been those who, whose lives had been taken. But today it was different. Calvary was going to experience something different. The earth began to just shake and quake. The Bible says rocks. You know, we think of rocks, we think of those little rocks that we put out in the flower bed. But you've got to understand, when you study and look at the terrain of that time, you're talking about rocks, some of them as big as this building, begin to break apart. And all of, you know, just nature itself was saying, look at this, look at this. And here, of, of all people, of all people, a Roman soldier who had just a few hours ago enjoyed what he did for a living, and that was killing and crucifying Jews, he enjoyed it, now stood and said, surely, Surely this is the Son of God. I wonder what heaven was like. The Bible tells me this. The Bible tells me that, that Jesus, there were those angels that were acquisitioned to Jesus, lest he even cast his and, and hit his foot on a rock. If he was walking along and was about to hit his foot on a rock, an angel slid his hand there. The perfect sacrifice wasn't going to be damaged in any way. What was it like in heaven that day? Were the angels now furious? What was going on? After all, my job is to protect him, and I can't do anything now. Was the hand of God just still? No, no, this has to happen. 
were they like racehorses in a gate, ready to go out and just destroy everybody that was there? You know, who knows? Did they understand the full extent of what was happening before them? Did they know? The Bible tells us that they, they look into the relationship that we have with Jesus and they long for it, but they don't get it all. You know why? They didn't understand all of Calvary. They didn't get it all. I just imagine, though, those angels that God said, protect my son forever. They had to have been ready at just a, but they were held back. And so, yeah, as the earth began to quake, the rocks began to break, the sky began to darken, what we don't know happened in heaven, we don't know what happened. We can only imagine Now we have this man, Jesus, who because of me was hanging between heaven and hell and gave his life. What had begun as a day of celebration of Passover now was a time of hatred of the Jew and the Roman. What should have been a joyous day. I often wonder, why why didn't Jesus... Just be put on an altar somewhere. Why, why wasn't he just laid down somewhere just as Abraham was laid Isaac on an altar, was ready to serve him up to God? Why didn't Jesus, why didn't it happen that way? Why, why was it so cruel? Why was it so evil? Why would this happen to Jesus? And then I, I went back to Isaiah chapter 53. What an awesome, awesome He is despised and rejected of men. This man Isaiah saw this coming hundreds, centuries of years before, but he understood the cross. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Why did Jesus have to go through what he went through? We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Why did Jesus have to go through such a cruel, cruel beating and punishment and death? It was to bore our griefs so that you wouldn't have to grieve. He did it to carry our sorrows. Jesus did what he did. Why was his crucifixion so cruel? So that he would carry our sorrows. Yet he did, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Here's why Jesus. His crucifixion, his beating, his scourging. All this is why it was so cruel and evil. He was wounded for our transgressions. When they begin to beat him and the blood begin to flow. For my transgressions. He he opened not his mouth. He stood there as the lamb for sinners slain. And he bore my transgressions. He was wounded so that my sin could be taken care of. He was bruised as they beat him with the rods. As the whelps began to come on his face and on his body and on his leg, all over. He did that for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace. I have peace today because of what he did that day. With his stripes, I am healed. He bore those stripes that day simply so that I could be healed. 
But we like sheep have all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's a group today called the ufologist. You, there's MUFON. There's, there's those who talk about aliens and ancient aliens and all those. They often use the Bible as a reference to aliens. And what they say is Jesus was really not the Son of God or a great prophet. Jesus was not a teacher. He was actually an alien that just came to make life better for the world. And then there are, there are those that say Jesus was a prophet. He was a teacher, but he wasn't a Messiah. And then there are those that say that Jesus was an idealism. He was something that we ought to try to achieve in our life, but never physically or real, actually really lived. And, and it's saddened that in, in Christianity today, even in the movement of Christianity, we seem to forget. We seem to pass over what Jesus did on the cross that day. We seem to miss. We get busy. Our lives are full. And we get busy and just forget. When we look at the apostles and the disciples after the day of Pentecost, they had one story to tell. It wasn't their personal conviction. It wasn't their personal testimony. They had one story to tell. Jesus Christ, Him crucified and Him resurrected. That's the story they had to tell. I often wondered how Paul got that. You see, Paul wasn't invited into the church. Paul went to Ananias' house blind, having been spoken to on the, on, the, on the way to Damascus by Jesus Himself. But Jesus didn't say, I'm the one that was crucified. I'm the one that bore your sins. He didn't say any of that. He just asked him why he was doing what he was doing. And so when Paul gets there, he stays in Ananias' house for several days. We don't know what was spoken, but I have a real belief because Ananias was a Christian. Ananias must have told him the story of Jesus. Paul, Paul wasn't acquainted with Jesus. He knew of him, but he wasn't acquainted until he hit the road. But now he's acquainted as he's told the story of Jesus. And Paul goes throughout his ministry telling the story of Jesus. We get wrapped up so much in what we think God needs to be doing for us. We get tied up so much in what we think God ought to be doing in this world. We wonder in the world what is going on and when is God going to take care of all of this. Our story just needs to be Jesus. Our story just needs to be Jesus. Him crucified. Him resurrected. I can't imagine that day as Jesus gave up the ghost and all that happened. As they began to take his body down, someone had to handle that body. Someone had to hold that body. Someone had to dress that body. Someone had to begin to prepare that body for burial. Who was that? Mary, his mother. Mary Magdalene. John the Beloved, Joseph of Arimathea, gave them a tomb. It was a tomb that he had for himself, for his family. Gave them a tomb that they could place him in. The story of Jesus. 
I had a different message today, but sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget just what Calvary means. That was a different celebration than there ever has been on this earth. You see, even though it was a cruel, and this is a hard story to tell. I'm not a, y'all may not think this, but you can ask my family. I'm not an emotional person. I'm pretty level. Everybody can be celebrating to the height, and I'm the guy that's just sitting there with a smile. Everybody can be in the depths of their, and I'm just sitting there with a smile. But somehow when I talk about this, when I'm reminded of this, I can't help. You know, I came up in the, the group that said, if you show emotion, that's, that's really not God. That's just your emotion. I can't imagine the emotion Mary must have felt that day. I can't imagine what John and Mary Magdalene, but I can't imagine what Jesus felt that day. Don't think he didn't feel the emotion that I'm feeling right now. Don't think that he didn't feel the emotions of all humanity because placed upon him was the sin of all humanity. Don't think that there was this desire. But the greatest emotion was this. The Scripture says it was for the joy that the cross was set before him. He enjoyed. Did he enjoy the cross? No. But in joy, he gave himself a ransom so that you and I could sit here today knowing that our sins are washed white as snow, that we're cleansed. Like the lepers, we can say, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. The story of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I understand as a pastor, you know, it's, it's called of me to teach and to preach and to do those things that a pastor is supposed to do in, in church. And after all, we're, we're called to be servants and under shepherds to the Lord and to, to take the sheepfold, the sheep of God, to, to minister to the sheep of God, to show them how to eat and how to drink and where to go and all those things. That's, that's my job. That's what I do. But it's not a job. It's a, it's a calling. It's a, it's a blessing from, from God. But sometimes we get involved in so many things and we get involved in so much stuff. Some of it very necessary, some of it unnecessary. And we just forget. We just forget. Have you complained this week about something? I have. I've complained about something this week. What in the world do I have to complain about? What under the heavens of God do I have... What could cause me to complain about anything? I'm the richest man on earth. I'm the most blessed man on earth. The king that I serve is the king. There are a lot of kings hanging out. None of them are the king. Revelation says this. And it's in bold caps. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords.
And this King of kings and Lord of lords calls you and I friend. Friend. Jesus said one day, you're no longer called my servants. You're my friends. Isn't that awesome? And I have a friend that he is, he is over this big corporation. Thousands of people work at his corporation. He makes millions of dollars. That's my friend. He don't even compare <laughs> to my friend Jesus. He don't even, he doesn't, he doesn't hold a candle to the brilliant light of my friend Jesus. And Jesus is saying today, remember, I'm your friend. I'm learning not to complain to my friend as much as I used to. I'm, not lear I've lear I'm learning not to ask so many why, what's, and how's of my friend that I used to. Because here's what I've learned about him. Everything, Brian, that we talked about this morning, everything that he has for me is good. I might see it as something to complain about, but I'm complaining about something that he's given me that's good for me. It's going to increase me. It's going to make me brighter, smarter, better as a Christian. It's going to cause me to hold a stronger faith and truth as a Christian. Everything my friend has for me is good. So I want to start remembering him for good. What are you going through today? Does it seem like it's turning? You ever had that churning feeling like, I don't know how this is going to go, but this doesn't look good? You got a friend today. You got a friend today. He means it all for good. It may look bad to you right now, boy, but guess what? My friend Bo Harrison, y'all have heard me talk about him a, a lot. He's got a son. He just, his son is not in church. And his, his son needs God. And I was talking to Bo one day, and I don't do this very often because I've, I have to be very careful. You don't want to put false hope in anybody's life. But God spoke to me so strong that it just came out. I said, Bo, Brian's coming into church. He said, do what? I said, Brian's coming into church. God spoke to me. Brian's coming in. Jesus has found him. He's just waiting on the answer. He just, he's knocked. He's just waiting on Brian to open the door. Brian's going to open the door. And ever so often when I talk to Bo, it just rises up again. Why? Because I have a friend. I have a friend. My friend loved me when I was unlovable. And I'm going to tell you all a little secret. I'm still a little bit unlovable. He still loves me. I had a friend when I was a sinner, yet while I was a sinner, he died on the cross for me. I got to tell you all a little secret. I once was lost as a sinner, now I'm found as one. Now I'm found as one. He found me. I didn't go looking for him. I was in the depths of the lost of sin, and he found me. Do I still have issues of sin in my life? Absolutely. 
I know that shocks some people when a pastor says that. But let's be truthful. Pastor Don gets sick sometimes, but you know what? I have a friend that just stood there and not said a word. And every time they hit him, that's for you, Don. Every time that strap went against his back, that's for you, Don. Scott, that's my friend. He saw me in my inequity. And he said, I want to be your friend. I'm going to open these altars this morning. And just ask you this question. Would you like to come and love your friend today? Would you like to come and hug your friend today? Would you like to come and kiss your friend today? Would you like to come and tell your friend how much you love him? We have war heroes that we esteem, but the greatest war hero I know is Jesus Christ. I I honor the war heroes of our nation, but today I honor my Jesus, my friend. He went there so that I didn't have to. I don't have to... He did it all. He's my friend. Lord Jesus, we used to sing an old song, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. And God, more and more, just realizing what a friend I have in Jesus. What a friend I have in Jesus. What you did on that day in the time of Passover forever changed the world. God, I don't know most of the people that have lived in this world, but I know, God, that you changed me. You changed me. And had I been the only one in the world that needed to change, you'd have still done it. Had I been the only sinner, Calvary would have been your goal that day. You would have hung between heaven and hell and given your precious blood just so Don could be saved so that Don could be born again, so that Don could enjoy heaven, so that Don could spend an eternity with his friend. God, help us as a people, as your people, not to forget. We, We do get wrapped up in life, Lord. But let me not get so wrapped up in my life that every day I don't remember my friend. Help me not to get so tied up in my own things that every day I don't wake up to thank my friend. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the first and the last. He that was and is and is to come. You're Adonai. You're Jehovah. Yeshua. Elohim. You're my friend. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. 
We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.